but it is great to be with you today to share from God's Word. And even more than that, it is great for Gail and I to be able to worship here with you. Um, you know, by God's grace, He has done something here that is pretty unique in many places, you know, where a former pastor can remain and worship in the congregation where he has served and to be able to do that well. And I just want to tell you, I am just so uh, happy about how this transition has gone. And I think Jason is doing a wonderful job as senior pastor. I'm so pleased with Stephen coming to our church and I know the rest of our staff team as well are just uh, great to work with. I loved every day that I came to work here. Uh, it was such a joy being part of this team and this ministry. And uh, I'm just excited to share with you from God's Word this morning. I also wanted to uh, say thank you to you for your prayers for me in this time of transition. I'm about a year into my new job where I serve as president of our uh, denomination's retirement and benefit plan. And it's very different from what I was doing here. Obviously, it's more administrative. I enjoy the contact with pastors and churches, and I travel a fair amount to our district conferences representing FCMM. And one of the main reasons I said yes to that position was that God put on my heart just a real concern for pastors. And I really want to see churches honor those who serve the Lord, just like you have honored me and our staff who have served here. And sadly, um, today, when you look at the numbers of pastors that are retiring after long years of ministry, maybe 35 or 40 years, uh, it's sad to see that uh, on average, those pastors are going to get in their pension or their retirement about six to seven hundred dollars a month and and it's not enough I mean when you add that to what you get with social security say and you add that and you think about your own situation living with that um, there's a real concern there and that breaks my heart when I see pastors who are in their 50s for example and they have saved nothing and it's a very difficult situation to be in and we are working to change that, and there is improvement. The contributions coming in from churches are greater than they used to be to help increase that amount. But there's still a long ways to go, and I appreciate your prayers in that regard. I just I want to be an advocate for pastors. I want to change the culture and help to bring about um, you know, a better uh, future for those who have served so well. So thanks for your prayers for that. Uh, as I think about the message today, I was thinking about a conference I did go to in the fall. There were two out east. The Eastern District Conference was in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and the uh, New England District Conference was at Camp Spofford, a church camp like Chaminade, where Gail and I actually used to take college students to when we lived out there and worked with Campus Crusade for Christ. And one of the speakers was a man named Scott Hancock. Uh, he's an African-American. He attends a free church uh, in Pennsylvania, and he's a professor at Gettysburg College. And he was talking about this issue of racism in America and the issues related to that. And honestly, he gave one of the best and most helpful talks I've ever heard on that subject. 
some clear illustrations of institutional racism and how decisions made in the 30s still affect our black brothers and sisters today. And one of the areas that he touched on also was just the difference in how we even look at theology. Uh, he quoted a man named Carl Ellis uh, who talked about theology and how it can be looked at from two different perspectives. And uh, this is funny, when I came here this morning, I noticed that it says Carl Lewis. That's my mistake, but it is Carl Ellis. Carl Lewis is the sprinter. Uh, <laughs> And I don't know if you've ever had that where one of those times you type in a name and you just, you don't even think about it in your mind. I'm still seeing Carl Ellis. And it wasn't until I got here this morning I went, oops. Uh, we'll chalk that up to a little bit of rust here. Okay. But he made this statement that theology can be approached from two perspectives as side A theology and side B theology. And this is how he described it. He said that side A theology is concerned with things like epistemology. Now, that's a big word that means how do we know what we know? And so it's concerned about questions like what do we know about God? What do we know about Jesus? What do we know about the Bible? And it looks to the scripture and it focuses on statements that are propositions, propositional truth. It'll look at a statement like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Or to look at statements like 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 6, where Paul will talk, for I delivered to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. And it'll focus on those kind of statements. And what we in the Western world did then was we built these creeds and confessions based upon propositional truth. We're concerned about, do people believe in the Trinity, that God exists as one God and three persons, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do we believe in the Lordship of Christ, that Jesus Christ was fully man and fully God? Do we understand the way of salvation, and do we believe in substitutionary atonement, that Christ died for our sins? He paid the penalty that we deserved and in the Western culture, this led to the development of things like systematic theology along with these creeds and confessions. The Reformation is an example of some of the battles that were fought. And so you could say that side A theology is concerned about right doctrine. It's more cognitive. Now what happens as a result of that is that when we um, think about things like, well, is a person saved? Are they a Christian or not? Some of the things we look at, well, do they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Have they accepted him as their personal savior? Have they placed their trust in him? And, and if we look at that and we look at their life and their life isn't quite where it should be, sometimes we'll say, well, they're kind of backsliding. They need to come back in a relationship with the Lord. But we tend to think that they are saved based upon that profession of faith. Well, side B theology is different. Side B theology looks at life. It is more intuitive than cognitive. 
And you can think about the African-American experience in America, and it makes some sense that their theology developed under the challenge of oppression, slavery, racial prejudice. Slaves in the South did not have access to higher education. That wasn't an option for them. But they had a faith in God. And it was rich, and it led the development of music and the spirituals that are still sung today. And what they focused on is they looked at a person's life to see if there was a genuine faith. And passages of Scripture that stood out to them were passages like where Jesus is asked about what is the greatest commandment. And they'd say, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? and soul, and mind, and strength? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? And they would be challenged by that. Side B theology looks to the narrative portions of Scripture. For example, the Exodus. The story of the Exodus was very meaningful to them. God's delivering the people of Israel from slavery, from bondage, and setting them free. They looked to the prophets and they saw God's concern for justice for the poor and the oppressed. And a verse like Micah 6, 8 stands out. What does the Lord require of you? He has shown you, O man, what is good. That God has called us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And so when they looked at a person's life, they were looking for the evidence of that kind of genuine faith. And sometimes this resulted in differences too, like even when we think about the formation of this nation, we who have grown up in a white culture would say that clearly we can see God's hand in the founding of our nation. And we see how God guided those checks and balances that were built in or how God used Christians in that process. But for African Americans, because of that history of slavery and even how the church in the South endorsed slavery, they can wonder if we ever were a Christian nation at all. There's a tension there. And what we see in the Scripture is that both side A and side B theology, that's a we want to call it that both are important. Both are necessary even. The scripture makes that very clear in the passage we're going to look at this morning in 1 Timothy 4, verses 15 and 16. The Apostle Paul writes there, he says, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Doctrine and life. Side A, side B. They go hand in hand. I want to look at this text this morning and bring out three highlights out of the text that I think are good for us to think about as we are starting a new year. 
First of all, Paul says, be diligent in these matters. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy. He's a young pastor around the age of 30. He's going to shepherd the church in Ephesus. But these words are not just written to Timothy. It's not a private letter that we have no business reading. No, it's part of the scripture because Paul wrote this letter to show us how the church should live, how we who belong to the body of Christ are to live. And so these words have application for us as well. And he says, be diligent in these matters. So what matters? What, what are the things that he's thinking about here? And really, it's everything he's written up to this point in the letter. But go back to the start of this chapter. In chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, he tells us that we need to be discerning. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Do we see that today? Do we see the danger of false teaching and people kind of find in their own way in different forms of spirituality? Yes, we do. He talked here at that time how such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. In our day, we have false teachers who are out there that will teach a a false gospel of prosperity and health as though we should always be prosperous and healthy and if we aren't then there's something wrong with our faith or with us or we just don't believe enough there are false gospels of universalism that believe that everyone will ultimately be saved i mean there's all kinds of issues that come up and we need to be discerning in verse six we need to know the word He says to Timothy, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Timothy, remember that. A foundation has been laid for you in the Word of God. You've had good teaching, and he will say it was from your grandmother and your mother who instructed you, the time he spent with Paul where he was instructed. Timothy, follow that. Put it into practice. Go deeper. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, but rather train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness is virtue for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Strive to be godly. Grow in Christ-likeness. Be holy even as I am holy, God says. Those are challenges for all of us. In verses 9 and 10, he calls us to put our hope in the living God. In verses 11 to 14, he will challenge us to set an example by our life, to live out our faith every day. So when he says be diligent in these matters, he is calling us to take our faith very seriously to work at our faith, to pay attention to our life and our doctrine, 
to give ourselves wholly to these matters. In other words, to be all in. I think of what Jesus said in the book of Revelation when he was speaking to the church at Laodicea and he said, how I wish that you were either hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. The Lord wants us to be all in. He wants us to be serious about our faith and growing and maturing. And Paul says, do this so that everyone may see your progress. That they can see the change that God is making in your life. This fall, I was asked to be part of a credentialing council, uh, just like the one Stephen went through for ordination. Uh, This was one for a layperson who has begun a chaplain ministry. His name is Mark Allen. He attends the Cost Evangelical Free Church, and Mark and his wife, Chris, have worked with Ron and Gina Gruning in their international uh, fire relief mission where donated fire equipment is brought to other cities and countries where there is a great need, and then there is a need to train those who will work as chaplains who are part of that ministry. And Mark, for many years, has come alongside and worked with them. Well, Mark had this need, or felt this need, and he was encouraged by others to be credentialed, to have a little bit more authority, if you will, in other nations especially, that is very important when people look at, well, who is this speaking and why should I listen to them? Part of what helps is if you have the credentials to do that. And so here he is, Mark's an EMT, he's a lay person, he's not been to Bible college, he's not been to seminary, and on his own, he studied the scriptures and studied doctrine. And he would meet with other pastors who mentored and discipled him. And he went through this process, you know, of being grilled and the questioning for credentialing. And and he did well with that. Um, But what really stood out to me was after the credentialing, when they asked people in the church to speak about his life, that really touched my heart. Because we look at both in this ordination or credentialing process. Is this person able to competently handle the scriptures? But also, do they live it out? Do we see Jesus in this individual? And are they growing in their relationship with Christ? And there were several people who said, you know, when I first met Mark, and some of you may know him, Mark's a a big guy. Uh, He has of late gone through some health challenges that have caused him to lose some weight and made it more difficult for him to speak, but he's persevered through these things. But before he came to know the Lord, he was a big guy and he was arrogant and he was crude. And some of the people who saw him didn't really want to hang around him. I mean, they saw this guy who just, they didn't like at first. But there were those who took him under their wing. And when Mark came to know the Lord, he began to change. And he started growing in his faith to the point where those who have known him now for many years would say of Mark that he is tender, he is loving, he is compassionate, and he has a deep love to bring the gospel to those who have never heard it before.
Mark showed that both in the stories that he told and in the way that he lives his life, this passion to reach the lost. He reminded me of another man I knew who came to know the Lord later in life and just had this zeal to share the gospel with his friends as much as he could. And when I asked him what fueled that passion for him and evangelism, he said to me that it's because I've lived on the other side for so long and I never want to go back there again. And I want my friends to know Jesus. I want people to come into a relationship with Christ. And I saw that kind of love in Mark. And I would ask you this morning, are you growing in your faith? And can others see your progress? And when I look around this room and I look at those of you that I know and I know your story, I see trophies of God's grace throughout this room. I see people who have been changed by the gospel. I see your love for God and for one another. I see your generosity and wanting to give to the Lord's work and to missions and evangelism. I see it in your service and the time that you give and your involvement in this church and in this community. I see it in your desire to see God glorified and Jesus lifted up. But I don't know all of you well. And I don't know your story. And there may be some of you here that you're just on the front end of that. And that is great. And I want to encourage you to be all in. To give yourself fully to the Lord and continue to grow in your relationship with Him. And to find someone in this church who can help you in that process. To come alongside and to learn from them and to continue to grow in your faith. Paul says, secondly, that we are to watch our life closely. He challenged Timothy in verse 12 to set an example in five areas. And he called him to live out his faith and watch his speech. He said, I want you to watch your life. I want you to watch your love. I want you to watch your faith. I want you to be growing in purity. And you go back in those things and you think about that. That's a great list. I mean, when we think about our speech, has there been a change in that area? Is our speech wholesome? Is it honest? Are we encouraging? Do we build others up? Is our speech free from gossip or slander or crude or profane speech? Often for new believers, this is one of the first areas that changes when we come to know the Lord. In life, are our values rooted in Scripture? Are our priorities in alignment with God's priorities for us? Have we seen a change in our conduct and in our activities? In the area of love, are we growing in compassion and kindness toward others? Are we forgiving? Do we practice generous giving? Are we involved in service using our gifts and ministry? Are we growing in mercy? Is our life free from hatred and bitterness? In the area of faith, are we growing in our trust in the Lord and in obedience? Are we growing in wisdom and discernment? Is our life free from worry and doubt? And when those things do occur, do we know 
where to take them to Jesus Christ and to give our anxious thoughts to him. Are we growing in purity, in godliness, holiness, no longer enslaved to sin, but finding ourselves pure in thought or pure in speech, pure in life? Recognizing that we are not perfect people. We still have areas that we may struggle with and we need to grow. But can others look at your life and see the progress that you are making? You know, a great exercise would be to write down on a list some of the areas that stand out to you where God has changed your life and then give thanks to the Lord for what he's done. Sometimes God also puts us in situations where maybe we think we've grown and it hasn't been quite as much as we maybe thought. Many of you know that uh, for about three months this fall, our son Matt, his wife Deborah, and their four children were living with us. And, and I thought I was doing pretty well on the patient scale, and uh, that got tested a little bit this fall. And I found out how much I really do like order and I like having a quiet place where I can kind of recharge and go to. And it was different having a house full of kids and activity and chaos and noise once again. And they are great kids and we love them dearly. And, uh, but there were times when that was hard. It was a challenge for them. They aren't in their own home and we're uh, trying to adjust. Everybody's trying to adjust. And um, <laughs> it was kind of funny um, when it got toward Christmas and they were asking me for ideas for gifts, I was looking, I don't know, I don't really need anything. And I'm looking online, okay, what are gifts for 60-year-old men? You know, I was just kind of, I decided, you know, people Google everything. So I, I looked this up and I found this mug that said, you know, I didn't think I'd turn into a grumpy old man when I became 60, but here I am, and I'm killing it. <laughs> uh, we had a good laugh about that. Thankfully, they didn't buy that mug for me, but it's okay. You know, and so uh, there are things that God reveals in us. We are needing to continually work at our faith. And just because you're older, that's not an excuse for being grumpy. And so I, I have to work at that too. But thirdly, he tells us to watch our doctrine closely. Well, why is that important? Well, he says that your salvation depends upon it and the salvation of those who hear you. I, I don't think you could say that any stronger. Why does doctrine matter? because our salvation depends upon it. And it's not like, you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to have to fill out this doctrinal exam, and if we don't pass, we don't get in. It's not like that. No, what it's, what it's about is we need to know that we're on the right road, that we are following Jesus, and that what we believe is a true gospel, because what we believe matters. And like I said before, you know, if we believe that Jesus is just one way to God and there are many ways to the Father, we really don't understand and believe the gospel. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
There is one way, and I know that's exclusive, and I know that's not popular in a pluralistic world that wants to kind of accept everything, and what you believe is fine for you, and what you believe, you know, is fine for me, or whatever, you know. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ alone is the one who has made it possible for us to know the Father. And he did that through his death on the cross for our sins. And it is imperative that we place our trust and our confidence in him, in Christ alone, and in his grace and what he has done for us. If we think that good deeds are going to earn us a place in heaven, we're wrong. If we think that in the end everybody's going to be saved, the Bible doesn't teach that. It calls us to strive to enter by the narrow gate. Because that's the only way that we're going to make it to heaven. So do you understand the gospel? Can you explain it clearly to others if someone were to ask you to give a defense for your faith? Or to understand how can I know Jesus is my Savior? Do you know what you believe and why? When I was a young Christian in college, there was a man who taught at Trinity at our seminary, Paul Little, who wrote two books, Know What You Believe and Know Why You Believe. And I, I ate those up. And I think of uh, Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, was so powerful for me and helping me to understand the reasons for faith. I would ask you, have you read through the Bible on your own, cover to cover. And one of the best things that we can do as believers is just to simply get into the Word. We have Bible reading plans that are set out in the back that you can use to read through the Scripture. But if, if you have never done that before, I would encourage you to use some kind of study guide to help you so that you understand what you're reading. It will make it even more meaningful. It could be using a study Bible while you read and you look at the notes, or it could be uh, using like the daily walk from Walk Through the Bible Ministries that can guide you in that. We can help you with those kind of suggestions or tools. But it will be transformative as you get into the Word and you understand it. Have you ever read a book on theology? Wayne Grudem's Basic Bible Doctrines is an excellent book. Or I just noticed... Uh, uh, recently he came out with another one, 20 Essential Doctrines that Every Christian Should Know. Uh, you know, those are good resources to make sure that what we believe is true according to the Scriptures. All of those things are designed to help us, to keep us growing. We need to work at both areas, doctrine and life. The Scripture calls us to be diligent in these matters and to give ourselves fully to them. It calls us to live in such a way that others can see that we are progressing, we are growing in our faith, and celebrate that. Give God thanks for what He's done. When you notice a change in someone else and how they are growing, say, you know, it's just a joy to see what God's done in your life. Or thank you for using your gifts and service. Or well done. 
You know, when you led that class or when you were working with those children or when you were jumping in to help serve here, that meant so much. Encourage one another. Keep growing in your faith. And together, let's make 2019 the best year that it can be by living this life all in for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your holy word, for the power that is there, for the encouragement that comes just when we need it. And for all of us, we know those areas where we need to grow and take steps of faith, and I pray that you would help us in that. And whether it is to grow in our knowledge of your word or whether it's to live it out in our life, Father, would you, by your Holy Spirit, empower us, open our eyes to see what we need to see, bring those into our life who can mentor and encourage us, and help us, Lord, as we have grown, to do that for others, to be an example and to encourage and mentor others in their faith. And Father, when we look back at the end of another year, I pray that we would see the good work that you have done in each of us, and we would give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, would you stand for our benediction this morning, and then we'll be dismissed. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.